It's Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. He is risen indeed. This is a this is a day for Christ followers. This is the day. And it's the day because we celebrate the rising again of the Lord Jesus. We celebrate a fact. The fact of our hope. We've been in this series called Controversy, and I figured we'd just keep it rolling because I don't know that there's a bigger controversy than not just whether the resurrection happened, which actually you'll see is not as big of a controversy as you might think, but what do we do about it? What does it mean? That's the controversy. You need to recognize that without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we are wasting our time here today. It's hot in here. You could be somewhere cooler. You could be doing, you could be watching television or whatever people do on Sunday mornings when they don't come to church. We would be wasting our lives. Not only would we be wasting our lives here, we'd be wasting our lives and our time here on this earth altogether. If the resurrection did not happen, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are hopeless. And the scriptures are not true. That's the fact. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no purpose, we have no hope, we have no meaning. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are all just an accident of space and time and star stuff. That's what we are. We wouldn't have any purpose. We'd just be determined to live and think and experience whatever random accident of atoms and neurons and cells and whatever bouncing around in your head by no choice of your own. That's what you would be living and experiencing and thinking. That's it. The actual reality for you as a person, as a human being made in the image and likeness of God, is that if the resurrection didn't happen, you are lost. But it did happen. It did happen. Let's look at uh, the book of Acts, right at the beginning of the book of Acts. And we're going we're gonna to start just in the first chapter here. It says this. It says, the former account, we, can we get, is it up? We good? There it is. All right. It says the former account. Now, what's, what's the former account? The former account is the book of Luke, okay? The book of Luke, written by Luke. He's a doctor, hung out with Paul, talked to all these apostles. He was a, one of the better Greek writers there are, one of the better historians we've ever had. In fact, there's uh, evidence that there was a, an atheist who wanted to disprove the Bible and took the book of Luke and, and Acts, which he also wrote, and started looking through it. ended up becoming a Christ follower because the history is so solid, what Luke wrote. But the former account was the book of Luke. Now we're in Acts. And he's saying, he's given this former account, he's given this account now uh, uh, of what Jesus did after all the things he did. It says, until the day in which he was taken up, this is after the resurrection, right? After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. Now, who are the uh, progeny of the apostles? Us. This has been a continuous multiplication from the apostles to the first people who got saved to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, to you. That's who he has given his commandments to. Okay, He had chosen them and he's chosen us. Now, this is what he says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, after his death, okay? This is important. That's why he starts it out. The book of Acts starts out with this fundamental fact 
that he presented himself alive to the apostles. And it says here, by what? Many infallible proofs. Oh, it's not working. I'm circling stuff and it's not going up there. Why is that? Hang on. Let me, let me do something here. Because I want you to see all my circles. It's the point of me making them for me. I mean, I like them, but let's try this again. Uh, all right, forget it. I'll do that. It's okay. We're good. Whom he also presented himself by, after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Meaning, there's no question about whether or not the resurrection happened. Many infallible proofs. He was writing this at a time. Luke is first century. He's a contemporary of Paul. So he's writing this at a time when you could go and talk to apostles and many other people who saw Jesus rise from the dead. They saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so there's no question. He's saying, look, if you're wondering, go ask somebody. Go ask somebody what's going on. He was, he presented himself alive. He spoke to them. It says here, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He spoke to them. He was seen by them. Many infallible proofs. This is important because at the end of the day, Christianity rises or falls on a historical fact that either did or didn't happen. It's not about some kind of blind faith. It rises or falls on that. Now we have maybe the oldest in the entire scripture, maybe the oldest thing that we have in the New Testament is actually sort of this creed that we believe to have been going around since the very earliest days after the resurrection. And Paul records it here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 12. It says, Moreover, brethren... I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, he says, unless you believed in vain, because he wants to make this clear, that you did believe in vain if what he's about to say isn't true. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he gives you your proof. And that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part, most of them, remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep or died. It was a nice way of saying they died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Here's the evidence. There are the apostles, there's, there's uh, the brother of Jesus, there's all these people, but then there's 500 people. If you were wondering whether Jesus rose from the dead, go ask them. Go ask them. He goes on, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this is important. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. 
Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, useless, worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. It's over. Taking the dirt nap. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're not going to rise from the dead. What, what a pity. What a waste of our time. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ is risen and you also will because he did. If he did not rise, Paul makes it as clear as can be. If you can show that Jesus Christ did not rise, the entire Christian faith is worthless, it's futile, it's meaningless. You're still in your sins. God's not true. The Bible's not true. It all falls away. The central thing in the scripture is whether Jesus Christ actually bodily rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday the way we do, because it is true and because it's the central thing. Christian faith is not a blind faith. This is it, guys, the resurrection. It's a faith in a central historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Not that he, as some people will say, well, really, he rose from the dead in our hearts. I don't really want to believe in the miracle of the resurrection. So what I'll say is what's important is that he rose from the dead in our hearts. Or it's some sort of a metaphor for new life and whatever. Listen, that, anyone who tells you that, that is not Christianity. That's some sort of new age nonsense. And meaningless. If Christ only rose from the dead in your heart, then you're only rising from the dead in my heart. Okay? In other words, you're done. If Christ did not rise from the dead, we are not rising either. From the earliest Christian followers, they were not trying to get people to believe a legend or a story. They were willing to die to testify to a fact. And many of them did die testifying that they had seen Jesus Christ alive after he was dead. Earlier in, in the service, we read from the Gospel of John. Uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, that wrote that part that we just read a little while ago. Here's the rest of that chapter, just so you have it. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So remember, he came to them, breathed on them, all that. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. The other disciples are men that Thomas had been hanging out with for at least three years, going through ministry with Jesus. They came to him and said to him, 
We have seen him. We have seen him, right? We've seen the Lord. And he didn't believe him. Eyewitness testimony by all of his buddies. And he didn't believe him. Big time skeptic. But then he saw Jesus Christ alive and he believed. We have not seen Jesus. And yet we believe. And he says that we are blessed for believing in the testimony of those who have seen him. There are many things that I have not seen, and yet I believe. There's a really big tree out there. Never seen the roots of it. I believe they're there. Mostly because it hasn't fallen over, right? I believe they're there. I've never been to Iceland, hoping to go there soon. I believe it's there. Never been there. Never seen it. Don't know. Seen some videos, but, you know, that could be anywhere, for all I know. How do I know there's an Iceland, right? Because I have reasonable faith based on testimony, photographs, people with weird accents, that whole thing, right? <laughs> there are many things that we do not see, but we believe. I have no explanation for what has happened to the world in the last 2,000 years and what has happened in me, except that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, rose from the dead and is alive. That he rose on the third day, defeating sin and death and hell. But the question is not, do I believe? The question is, what does it mean? That Jesus rose from the dead, I am 100% certain of. It is as proven of a historical fact as any historical fact that you basically believe in. There is as much evidence for it. It has been tested as hard as any other historical fact. And the evidence has stood strong for 2,000 years. That's why there's still people sitting here. Okay. The evidence is strong. I believe. But what does that mean for me? What does it mean? What am I going to do about it? I want you to listen to a story that Jesus Christ told about a man named Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that rose from the dead. This is a different Lazarus and an unnamed rich man. Listen, this is Luke 16, 19 through 31. I'm going to turn there real quick. This Bible's getting a little old. By the way, there are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one at home or yours is broken, feel free to take one of those. It's our gift. You don't owe us anything. Take it. We want you to have the word of God in your home. That's why those Bibles are there. So feel free to take that. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. That was only the wealthy could afford purple back then. And fine linen. That's why the Huskies are. (laughs) All right, duck fans, get over it. And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Rich man, okay? But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Welcome to Acts Church. We have some (laughs) nice imagery for you. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, this is a Jewish guy, he knows who Abraham is, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So those who want to pass from here to you cannot, 
nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, that is, the scriptures. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. They had the scriptures. The resurrection means nothing if you don't care. It means nothing if it doesn't change you. Remember the rich man who doesn't even get a name. This guy in hell, he he doesn't even have a name. That's what it's like there. That's what it's like there. He was not confused by where he was. He didn't say, Father Abraham, come get me out of here. He knew that he was in judgment. He had already believed in hell. He already believed in judgment. He knew that. So he wasn't surprised that he was being tormented. He knew all about it. He believed. He believed those things before he died. And his brothers, they believed those things too. They were good Jewish guys who grew up and learned the scriptures and knew that if they lived in a certain way, denied the Lord, rejected the Lord, they would have judgment and hell. They understood that. So he was not surprised by it. But the rich man wanted his brothers to take it more seriously and thought that would happen by sending Lazarus from the dead. But it was all there for them. It was all there for them in the scriptures. They had everything they needed to know. And Abraham told the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. If they do not believe and walk in the scriptures, it doesn't matter if they see a miracle like a resurrection. We would think people are dumb, right? If they said, I believe, I believe these things. I believe there's hell. I believe there's judgment. I absolutely believe those things. And I know that in order to avoid those things, I need to live a certain way. I need to follow Jesus I need to know him. I need to do that. And I really, really believe this. But they didn't do it. We would think, that's dumb. If you really thought that's what was going to happen, if you really believed it, why wouldn't you live it out? If they believe they're going to be judged and go to hell, they follow the scripture. They would have done what's right. But the rich man didn't. He knew it. Did his own thing. Rich man knew his brothers hadn't changed because of the scriptures. What about us? What about the people in this country? Do they act consistently with what they believe? Well, according to a Lifeway Ligonier State of Theology survey, which we've actually looked at before, 66%, roughly two-thirds of Americans surveyed, strongly or somewhat agree with the statement, biblical accounts of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. This event actually occurred. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of the people in this country, the United States of America, believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Believe the Bible is telling the truth about that. It's 100% accurate. There's more. 64% of Americans, almost the same amount, strongly or somewhat agree with this statement. There will be a time when Jesus Christ returns to judge all the people who have lived. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead, so they believe he's God. They believe that there's a time when Jesus will return to judge all people. But it doesn't stop there. 
59% of Americans strongly or somewhat agree with this statement. Hell is a real place where certain people will be punished forever. They believe that. That means that a substantial majority of Americans believe that Jesus is God because they believe he rose from the dead. They believe that Jesus is coming back to judge all the people in the world who have ever lived, and they believe in a real hell where people will be eternally punished. They believe all those things. If they believe all these things, you would think they would draw the conclusion that they would want to follow Jesus, live moral lives, serve others, follow the scriptures, love everyone, follow the moral rules set by God, desire to be saved, all that stuff. If they believe those things, you would think eternal punishment or eternally in heaven Let's go with eternal punishment. Nobody's doing that, right? No reasonable person does that. But according to a recent Gallup survey, 78% of Americans say the moral values of the country are getting worse. 80% of people are somewhat or very dissatisfied with the state of moral and ethical, the moral and ethical climate of our country. Most of the people in the United States believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection and also believe in judgment and hell and also are considered by their neighbors to be morally corrupt. Why is that? Well, people believe that the Bible is telling the truth about the resurrection of Jesus and believe the Bible is telling the truth in general. 51% believe the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. A majority of Americans, Christians, non-Christians, whatever it is, 51% believe the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches, but they don't learn about right and wrong and morality from the Bible. You know how I know? Because according to a YouGov survey from last year, only 7% of people learn about right and wrong and morality from attending church or a religious organization. That, by the way, is the same exact percentage of them that say they learn about morality from the media, like movies, TV, <laughs> newspapers, books, music, and the internet. Only 14% of those surveyed thought that behaving morally was primarily about following the teachings of their religion. Only 27% of people thought morality comes from God or a higher power. 51% believe the Bible is accurate in 100% of what it teaches. 27% think morality comes from God or a higher power. But 81% of them said they were very or somewhat moral people. And 85% said being moral was very or somewhat important to them. So people believe in the Bible and in Jesus Christ and in judgment and in hell, but they don't follow the Bible or believe that God sets the moral standards for them. And 80% of the people consider themselves moral, but 80% of the people are dissatisfied with the ethical and moral climate of our country and think things are getting worse. I think we're confused. Somebody's lying. Or not understanding. We are not letting the truth and the reality of the resurrection transform our lives. We are not being transformed by the power of the resurrection. We may believe it, but we're not letting it transform us. As Abraham told the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be persuaded by the one rise from the dead. Persuaded to what? Persuaded to what? We know they already believed in hell and judgment and God and truth and morality and whatever. We know they believe that. So what were we persuading them to do? Persuading them to be transformed, to let God transform their lives. They already knew the rules. 
They already knew that they were sinners, that they needed to be saved. They knew all that. But they weren't persuaded to do anything about it. They weren't persuaded to be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Is this thing working again, by the way? Did we get it back? No. All right, player. All right. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this is what it says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Believe, do. Believe, do. Be transformed. There is no point in believing without transformation. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. He's saying, God has shown mercy to you. He died for you. He rose again. He's offered it to you. He created you. He knows what's good for you. He knows all of that stuff. All you need to do is make him Lord. Follow him. Be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world, which is easy to do. That's what happens if you do nothing. If you do nothing, you just get conformed, conformed, conformed. He's saying, no, no, no. Present your bodies as living sacrifice. Why? Because it's the reasonable thing that anyone would do for our God who came to earth, became a man, died, and rose again for them to forgive their sins. The reasonable, rational thing to do would be to present your body a living sacrifice. If you're wondering why your life isn't working out the way you want, you constantly have one crisis after another, and you cannot get it figured out. It is not necessarily that you don't believe the right things, but instead that you're just being conformed to the world. You believe them, but you're not letting them transform you. You're not renewing your mind by believing and doing, working out your faith. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. The reasonable, rational thing to do for a God that died and rose again for you. Giving you hope and everlasting life. I mean, I get that it's hard to think about the future for us a lot of times. That's why credit cards exist. Because today, David wants to do the thing. I don't have the money today, but I have this piece of plastic. So I'll do today, David gets to do the thing and let tomorrow, David, worry about paying that off, right? I don't like to think about the future. The last thing you want to do is do that with your eternal salvation. Today, David wants to live however he wants, to not follow God, to reject him, to suppress the truth and righteousness, do all that kind of stuff. And tomorrow, David can worry about hell. Not a good plan. Not a good plan. Be transformed. We believe that Jesus lived. We believe that he rose from the dead and that he predicted that he would. We believe all that because the evidence is undeniable. Do your own research. You don't believe me? I've got, I've got messages I've done on this. I, can, I walk through the research for you. This is a fact. He died and he rose again. But somehow we believe all that, but we don't want to believe what he said about our work lives, about our money and how we spend it, about the way we treat each other, about peace, about our sex lives, about our thought lives, about our anger, about forgiveness, about trusting him, about our need for him, about our desperate need for him. Above all else, above everything and everyone, we need him. He is Lord. He created us. 
He proved that he was God when he rose from the dead. What do you want? Don't you want joy, forgiveness, grace, peace? You've got to accept him. All of him. Or reject him and understand what that means for your life. Jesus is the only way. He is very clear to not leave another way open. For those of you who are like, well, that's good for you, and this is good for me. No. This is good for me. That is not good for you. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. It is one way. One way. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is not another path. Not transcendental meditation. Not another religion. Not being nice. Not going to Mount Hood and enjoying the beauty. That's all. You know, enjoy it. And then saving you. Not just believing, but having it not be in your heart. None of that. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And here's my thing. If that's not where you are today, let it rub up against you. Fight with it. Get out of the complacency that we have because we can numb ourselves with Netflix and alcohol and porn and whatever else. All the things we can do, we can go home and keep ourselves constantly entertained. Not very good entertainment, but there's lots of it. Turn that nonsense off and just fight in your heart about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead and what it means. Forget what you want and what you want to do. And ask yourself, if you're created by God in his image and likeness, and he had plans for you before the universe began, is it possible? Is it possible that what he has for you is better than what you think you have for you? Is it possible that submitting to him, surrendering, living our life and making him Lord might actually lead to more joy than you trying to do it on your own because you know better? How about that power that raised Jesus from the dead being the power that's in your life? Not because you're so great. By now, most of you are not that young. I can see some of you are. Most of you are not that young. You should have figured out by now you don't have the power. It's not in you. You've read all these self-help books, and all it does is helps a person who sells a self-help book to get money. That's it. Because they all say the same thing. The power's in you, and da-da, and they do the thing, and everybody, yeah, say it together. Like that, just say it. Just say it. Okay. Didn't work. Didn't change. My husband didn't turn into a better guy because I said the power was in me. My bills didn't all of a sudden get paid. In fact, I have less of it now because I paid for the stupid conference. You know, you're doing well, but you're doing well because I just paid you a lot of money to have me chant with you. It's nonsense. The power is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power is in God. I can't do any of it without him. I've told you this many times. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I cannot do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to go to him. And I have to ask him to empower me. I am weak. I've got nothing without him. But with him, joy, peace that surpasses understanding, trust, 
All the things he's brought me through, all the ways in which I can trust him and love him and love you because of it. I've got energy to love you because I don't have to constantly worry about me because I've surrendered that to him. That's the life that we have in Christ. If you are not saved, you have not chosen to follow Jesus Lord of your life, today is the day. It is the perfect day. It is Resurrection Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the very fact that gives us hope that we can have everlasting life. You know in your heart you were not made to take a dirt nap forever. You know in your heart that you are eternal, that there's something off about dying. There's something off about sickness and pain and oppression and evil. You know there's something, it's not just that we choose to like it or we don't like it. Evolution's kind of happened and we prefer this and we don't prefer that. You know there's something real about it. There's something real about it. You know you're made to be eternal. Today can be the day where that eternity is with Jesus Christ instead of separated from him because you've rejected him. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, we don't have long. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of the day today. That ham you're going to eat, you could choke on it, okay? You clog your arteries up, whatever. You can go down. Death is happening. And if not, the Lord is coming back soon. Either way, you cannot wait. You got a struggle? You got questions? Let's talk. I've been working through this stuff for years because I want to know that it's true. Because I don't believe that I have a faith that's just based on somebody told me stories and I believe in them. I want to know that it's true. If you need to know that it's true, let's talk. But if anything is holding you back, you need to wrestle with it. Get out of complacency. We have become so complacent. Get out of it. Face it. You need grace. You need forgiveness of sins. Gosh, I cannot tell you how much I need grace. So much grace. My wife is shaking her head too fast back there. It's <laughs> so much grace. I'm a disaster. And yet, he tells us that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't treat you right. I don't treat me right. I don't treat my family right. I mess up. I mess up and I mess up and the Lord comes back and I have grace. I don't care what you've done, what lifestyle you live, who you've stolen from, who you've hurt. Whatever you've done, it does not matter. The thief on the cross, murderers, liars, thieves, all of it. They've all come to the Lord over the years, and he has saved them and forgiven them and given them eternal life. I don't care where you've come from. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But you have not presented your body a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable to him, if you haven't come to him. If you haven't come to him, you have not been transformed. You've sown to the flesh to do that which God, your creator, has warned you not to do. And in doing that, you've been conformed to the world. You've done the very thing that we are told in the scripture in Romans 1 that is bringing the wrath of God that's revealed from heaven against our ungodliness and our unrighteousness as we 
again, Romans 1, have suppressed the truth in our righteousness. You can stop doing that today. What I'm telling you now, I'm not telling you for my health. I'm telling you because it's the truth, because I love you, and because I want so desperately for the Holy Spirit to pierce your heart with truth that you might come to know him. This isn't about having a club. This isn't about getting together and listening to good music. We could do all of that by going to a concert or joining the Elks Lodge. We're here because I want to see Jesus work in your life and in my life. We're here because I want you to join the family of God, the body of Christ, and understand what it's like to have real friends, what it's like to have real brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I want. We've all sinned, according to the Scriptures. We all deserve death and separation from God, according to the Scriptures. And yet the Scriptures tell us that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how? Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. You got to have both. You can believe. Apparently two-thirds of Americans believe. But you got to with the mouth confess unto salvation that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you're going to follow him, that you're going to be a Christ follower. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you know Jesus, but you feel you're conforming to the world, that just slowly but surely you're not moving forward and you're feeling that you're being more and more conformed and not being transformed by the renewing of your mind, pray that God would heal you from that today. Draw close to him, and as the scriptures tell us, he will draw close to you. Give up your selfishness, give up your pride. That's where I find usually I am when I start being conformed instead of transformed. You don't know it all. But if you love the Lord with your heart, he will work in your life in the way that he intends to for you as an individual who he made in his image and likeness, who he has plans for, who you're going to get a name that only you and him know. That for eternity you will do the kind of work that will fulfill you completely. That will make you know who you've been made to be. Don't you want that? I know there's darkness. I know we're fallen. But he has so much for you. He has so much for you. Press into his plan and his purpose for you and watch him work. I've watched it over time. I can look back and be like, God, 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 David. God, 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 God. (laughs) Right? If you've been in Christ a long time, you know what it looks like. I want to assure you that that's what you will have in him. I love you. Listen, I love you. This is for you. God loves you way more than I do. He really, actually, for reals, died for you and for your sins. And he really, actually, for reals, seriously, rose from the dead. Let Resurrection Sunday be the beginning of life in Christ, if you don't know him, and the beginning of new transformation, if you do know him.